Welcome everyone at all campuses. Hey, isn't it good when we gather together as God's children to testify of the goodness of our great God, amen? Let's, sing up, let's give another shout of praise to our, to our God. Hey, well, welcome everyone. My name is Omar and I have the honor and the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here at Christ Fellowship. And uh, today we are in our second week of a series called Ancient Stories. And we have been seeing how these ancient old stories have a lot to teach us today about how to have healthy relationships. And so in this series, we're going to be covering a lot of different topics, parenting, grandparenting, singleness, blended families, all friendships. But today, we're going to be, we're going to be looking at how to stay trusting God together in a marriage. And we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham and Sarah. And so I am ready to dive into God's Word. I hope you are too. And so wherever you find yourself, let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. And you can follow along with me as I read, all right? Listen to what God's Word says. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God said, fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir, but your very own what? Son shall be your heir. In other words, God gave a promise to Abraham and Sarah, this couple, and it was going to be critical for them to stay trusting in the Lord even during the hardest moments in their life. That is God's word. You can go ahead and take a seat, everybody. And you know, when I was growing up, one of my uh, best friends in the world was John Gilbert Fields. And someone gave him in the year, in the summer of 1996, the VHS film of Apollo 13. How many of you remember that, that film? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, many people have remembered that film. Now, we must have watched that movie like 15 or 20 times. It was like on repeat at his house. But folks, the reason we were watching that movie so often, it was not because of the great acting but rather because of the riveting true story behind that film. Now follow me here, because the Apollo 13 mission was meant to be the third mission to land on the moon. And it was manned by three men. And here they are. They were Jim Lovell, Jack Swigert, and Fred Hayes. And so when these three men loaded up on April 11, 1970, they boarded the Apollo 13 rocket. Folks, the whole world gathered together to watch this crew this, uh, ascend into space. In fact, take a look at that launch. The Saturn V building up to 7.6 million pounds of thrust, and it has cleared the tower. This is Mission Control Houston. We appear to have a good first stage at this point. Okay, Pada. We're go flight. Looks good here. Guys, that was a good flight. Okay, Econ, GNC. Looks good flight. Looks good flight. Okay, sir. 
And as you heard, as that rocket took off, listen, everything was good, good to go, right? The, that journey started off smoothly, and when they embarked on this journey, right, they had all sorts of hopes and dreams and aspirations as to, as to what the future held. And family, even though the journey started off smoothly, many of us know the story. At one point, something unexpected happened. When an explosion took place inside of that, uh, of that rocket as it was heading towards the moon in a routine stirring of the oxygen tank. In fact, take a look at that moment. Yeah, one more item for you when you get a chance. We'd like it to uh, stir up your cryo tanks. In addition, uh, I have a shaft and trunnion. Okay. Or look at the Comet Bennett if you need it. Stand by. Can say again, please? Glenn was coming on with his team at that time, reading the log, preparing for handover. By the time we got to uh, handover, we knew full well that we had to take care of this thing in terms of uh, an emergency. We were handling something that we knew was uh, out of control. As you heard, they knew that they were handling something that was out of control in the moment that explosion happened. Folks, it sent these three men into outer space with not enough energy to come back. And so this journey that started off as a happy journey, that started off as a smooth journey, all of a sudden now it was a difficult and uncertain journey. And family, the key for this crew to survive this journey was one simple thing. And that one thing was trust. And I'm not talking about the trust among the crew members. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the trust, right, in the word from mission control back in Houston. You see, the truth is that the crew within themselves did not have a plan to get back home safely. But mission control did. And if you know the story, they were able to come up with a plan that as they got close to the moon, they would use the moon's gravitational force to sling them back to earth, going through the dark side of the moon, and God willing, that would be enough to send them back home. And family, do not miss the point though, because listen, if they wanted to get through this difficult journey, listen, they needed to trust in the word from mission control. Because it did not matter how much they trusted in each other. Folks, if they were not trusting and hanging on every single word that outside of them, right, from their mission control, listen, they would not have been able to endure the journey. And family, let me just bring all that story, right, over to our time together because Family, what an image of how we endure in our marriage journey. And by that, I mean that just like that Apollo 13 crew, right, needed to trust and hang on every single word from mission control outside of them. Listen, just like that. And here's the main idea as we dive into God's word. Listen, every single marriage journey, just like that Apollo 13 mission, starts off smoothly, isn't it? 
At the beginning, everyone's happy, there's joy, there's, everything's going great, but somewhere along the way, in short order, listen, challenges are going to come for every single marriage. And if that couple, if a couple wants to successfully endure and get through this whole marriage journey, listen, they must continually trust in the word from their mission control, namely, our Heavenly Father. Because it doesn't matter how much we trust in each other. If we as a married, if us as married people, listen, if we don't trust in every word that's coming from our Heavenly Father, listen, we are not going to endure this journey. And who knows, maybe right now you're watching online, maybe you're one of our campuses and you're thinking, Omar, listen, I'm here right now and, you know, I'm here with my spouse and we know things are not the way they should be. We may have a facade right now, like things are perfectly fine, but things are not right at home. And, and so, Omar, how can we come back to the point where we're trusting God and we can get our marriage back on track, back to a healthy place? Well, we're going to find out today from an ancient story in the book of Genesis chapter 15, all right? So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. You can also open up your Christ Fellowship apps, a great way to stay tapped in during the sermon and take notes. And today I have three thoughts for us, all right, on how to endure a difficult marriage journey, all right? So write this down as point number one. The first thing we need to know is that a strong marriage, listen carefully, is grounded on God's promises, on the promises of God. Now, let me set, set things up before we dive into the text because this, this man called Abraham and his wife were called out of a, a distant place in the Far East called uh, the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is really modern-day Iraq. And so when God came to this man named Abraham, he brought his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot, and they made a long trek all the way to the land where God was leading them, the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. So from Iraq to Israel, that's the journey that they made. And folks, once they got there, they started realizing that Sarah and, he, and, and Abraham, they said that they could not have children. And then his only heir was a distant relative that he had no connection to. And so when they found themselves in this situation, listen to what the Lord said next. It says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he what? And he what? And he believed. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So what do we see here? That God made a very specific promise, right, to Abraham and Sarah, and that this son that they will have not only would be the heir of everything Abraham had, that's a minor point, but the bigger point is that this son that God would give them would eventually start the lineage towards the Savior of the world. You see, Abraham, you know, his son, this son that was coming, he would be the forefather 
of the Savior of the world that would come to die for our sins, to make a way for us to have eternal life, namely Jesus Christ, so that those of us who put our faith in the Lord, listen, could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And so listen, this was an important son in the context of Scripture. And so Abraham and Sarah, once they heard this promise of God, if you think about it, they began to live their life and build their life around this promise from the Lord. And who knows, maybe you're here, you're thinking, Omar, listen, I wish that God would make specific promises to me like that. You know, life would be so much easier if me and my spouse, if we had specific promises that we could build our life upon. But can I remind you, God has made specific promises to you. In fact, listen to what God's word says in First and Second Peter chapter 1. It says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, even in your marriage, God has already provided for you everything you need to have a God-honoring, Christ-centered marriage. And here's how. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great what? What? Promises. See, church family, listen, God has given us not just one or two specific promises, but a book full of promises in his word for you to build your life upon. Yeah, we can clap for that because, listen, what, a, what an encouraging thing we, that is to know that as we go through life, listen, there's promises in God's word that he's given to you to build your life and your marriage on. And, folks, here's why God's promises are so important in your marriage. Because what brings strength and stability to your marriage is not how good the romance is. It's not how good and stable your finances are. It's not how successful your children are. But you see, when God brings two people together, what determines the strength and the stability of that marriage is how grounded they are to the promises of God. And family, just think about it just building a home. Because what makes a strong home, a stable home, are not the walls that are composed of sheetrock, are not what color paint you painted the wall that you debated a week of what color to select. It's not how the, the, this couch that you splurge upon. Listen. What holds up a good, solid home is a good, solid foundation. And folks, you know how it is, right? When we come together to build a home, there is concrete that is mixed, that is calm, builders come, and the moment that they are ready to start this home, when they pour this concrete right into the base, the foundation of that home, and as the builders, before the builders do anything, right, they are covering that whole foundation with what? With concrete because they know that for this home to last it must be built on solid found in solid foundation and folks same thing with our marriages listen if you want your marriage to last listen it cannot be built on things that change romances change connections change all these things change but if you want to build on something that never changes it needs to be the promises of our dear Lord amen and so I want you to stop for a moment and just ask yourself as we continue, what is 
When you first got married to your spouse, think of back in that, back in that day, at that moment. What did you begin to build your marriage on? Think about this. Was it an emotional attraction? Was it physical attraction? Was it a shared interest? And folks, listen, if, if we build our marriages if, on those things, listen, like I said, it's, those things are changed. They, they change over time. And so if you want to have a long-lasting, strong marriage, listen, you need to start building your marriage on God's promises. Folks, and here's the reason that building a marriage on God's promise is so important. Write this down as big number two. It's because marriage will be filled with suffering and uncertainty. Now, in the very next chapter, chapter 16, listen carefully, 10 years have passed. 10 years have passed from that promise in Genesis chapter 15. And listen to what it says. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him how many children? Huh? Yeah, no children. And folks, that is a small statement, but it doesn't have big consequences. Because folks, this was 10 years of waiting and suffering. Listen, there was, make no mistake about it, there was suffering involved, right, in, in this waiting. Because not only from the emotional pain involved, but also because of the emotional consequences because of it. The emotional and also the, sorry, the societal consequences. You see, in the ancient Near East, it was seen that every single time there was conception, it was a miracle of God. It was a gift from God. No matter how often it took place, it was always seen as a, 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 a miracle where God opened the womb to provide a child. And so because of that, which is absolutely true, right, unfortunately there was the wrong assumption that in the absence of that, that that means that something was wrong in this marriage. That maybe perhaps God did not love this couple, that there was sin in the marriage, that perhaps they were under a curse, and so even though that was not the correct view, the, 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 the truth, the, the reality is that that's how these people lived. And so listen, Abe, Sarah had to carry around for 10 years, for decades, all of this shame. Every single time she went somewhere, she would see the eyes peering into her, and she knew what people were thinking. And folks, listen carefully, how this must have caused different arguments and different and there's so much sadness among this couple. And folks, how could it not? And who knows, maybe you're here today and maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe you're not childless, but perhaps there's something in your life. You've gone through a prolonged trial in your life. Maybe there's a financial issue that's been lingering on for a long time that's been causing a lot of tension in your home. Maybe there's a relational issue with you and your spouse that you don't get along, that you don't see eye to eye, and for years and years and years you have been dragging this issue along and it feels like there's no resolve. Maybe it's something with a wayward child. Perhaps it's an issue with a mother-in-law, a father-in-law, a distant relative that you have to deal with. Or maybe it's a health issue, and so here's what happens. During these long treks of suffering, of uncertainty, we could be tempted to, to do certain things. 
And here they are. Write this down. It's under A and B. During those hard moments, those long moments, listen, first of all, we will be tempted to follow our own wisdom or we will be tempted to rely on our own actions. In fact, listen to what happens next. He says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. So so folks, notice, in the middle of the suffering of the uncertainty, instead of this couple going back to God's promise and to his word, they slowly but surely began to rely on their own wisdom and their own strength. And let me tell you, this was the beginning of a lot of marital struggles between Abraham and Sarah. In fact, later on, if you keep reading the narrative there in the book of Genesis, you see that Sarah becomes so angry and so upset, there's so much tension in the marriage, that she forces Abraham to kick out Hagar and their son Ishmael now out into the wilderness. And, and, and folks, even to this day, we, see, we know from, from the story, right, that God does, give God, God does give Abraham and Sarah a son whose name was Isaac. And folks, even to this day, there's family tensions because who, what, Ishmael is a father of the Arab nations and Isaac is a father of the, of the nation of Israel. And folks, I don't have to tell you, you turn on the news and there's still family discord among them, right? And so what happens is that the moment you take matters into your hands, it has lasting consequences. But family, here's what I want us to learn today. The big mistake that Abraham and Sarah made was not that they stopped believing in the existence of God. Listen, that's not, that's not the big mistake, but rather it was that they began to rely on their own wisdom to accomplish what they thought was God's purposes. And folks, here's where so many Christian marriages go wrong, because it's not so much that they stop believing in God, right? That, that doesn't happen often, but what usually happens is that somewhere along the way, they start, they start walking and struggling in their faith, and they start taking matters into their own hands, and that is when problems happen. In fact, let me just give you three examples. Sometimes we trust our own wisdom when it comes to conflicts with our spouse. Listen, we know from God's word how God has shown us how we ought to treat our spouse with honor, with respect, with love, with all these different things that God has really commanded us to, to, in the way that we should relate to them. But here's what happens. Usually, at some point in the, along the journey, one spouse stops obeying the Lord, and they start changing their behavior, and they start doing something, something a certain thing. And so here's what happens usually. The other spouse, they think, well, if, if, if they are acting like this, 
then I'm going to then act this way. Because if I stay here trusting God, if I stay here obeying the Lord in this area, and they don't obey God, they're going to run all over me, walk all over me. And I'm not, I'm not going to let that happen. And so somewhere along the way, you take matters into your own hands. You think, well, their disobedience gives me permission to disobey God. And here's what happens. When both spouses start disobeying God, it becomes a cycle, doesn't it? that starts rolling into a snowball effect, and now down the line, you see this couple struggling. Why? Because they think that disobedience from the other spouse gives them permission to disobey God. So you take matters into your own hands, doesn't it? don't you? Here's another example. We trust our own wisdom when it comes to even our children. You know, some, you know we know from God's word that we as parents, we are commanded to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And that we do whatever we can to teach them God's word, to show them the way, to teach them about the gospel. But what the Lord has said is that even though we are responsible to raise them in the ways of the Lord, ultimately, he is the one who transforms hearts. He is the one who opens up the eyes. He is the one that shows grace. He is the one who transforms the heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, right? And so here's what happens to so many parents. After a while, they see their children perhaps straying or not, not living according to what they've been taught. And instead of relying on the Lord and praying that God would change their heart and God would, would draw them, here's what happens. They now become God to those children. And they start uh, overbearing them, controlling them, and trying to change their heart by their own actions and through their own things. And here's what happens. Through time, when you take the role of God in your children's lives, here's what happens. They not only rebel against you, but they rebel against God. Why? Because you thought, I got to take matters into my own hands, and I'm not relying on God to transform this heart. Or perhaps even, listen, we trust our own wisdom when it comes to our finances. Listen, we know, we've taught this before, that God is a provider of everything we have. Everything we have, listen, God has opened up his gracious hands to provide for us. And the one thing, yeah, we can clap for that. And the one thing that God has asked us, right, as people, is that we would honor him with what he's given to us, right? That we would give back to him through our tithe and our offerings, right? He provides for us, we give back to him. But here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we do go through certain financial instability, uncertainty. And it's, it's in those moments where you think, well, I know God's my provider, but I got to take matters into my own hands, and instead of staying trusting and obeying the Lord, in those moments, we start doing, we start handling the money the way that we see fit, and we start relying on our own wisdom, and then we wonder why things are not in order. Then we wonder why God is not leading us in a certain way. Why? Because you took matters in your hands when it came to your finances. And so regardless whether it's in a conflict or children, finances, and whatever the case may be, Listen, when you start taking matters into your own hands, that's when problems come. And so you're wondering, Omar, how can we avoid, as a couple, as a married couple, making the same mistake that Sarah and Abraham made? Well, write this down as big number three. Listen, in a strong marriage, both, role, both spouses play a critical role. And here's the first aspect of it. Write this down as letter A. Each spouse must place their commitment or right, their commitment to God 
before their commitment to each other. And family, I cannot stress this enough. Because your commitment to your spouse cannot just be basically sold, so, uh, basically sold on each other, but rather the way to make a marriage strong is when your commitment to your spouse is predicated on your commitment to the Lord. In other words, if, if, if your actions towards your spouse cannot be predicated on how they're acting, on how you're feeling, on the emotions involved, but rather your actions need to be predicated on your commitment first and foremost to God. You know, a, a long time ago, before I met Ashley, uh, I went out to lunch with a, a, a friend of mine, his name, his name was Alvis, and we went out to lunch. And I remember, uh, we were just kind of talking about different lives, and, and, uh, and then the whole topic of relationships came up. And he said, Omar, the one piece of advice that I would give you as you look towards for a future wife is this. Listen, do not let how pretty she is. Do not let how much emotional, uh, how, con- how well you connect to each other. Don't, don't let how funny she is be the primary thing that you look for. Listen, those things are important, obviously. But, but he said the most important thing is whether or not she genuinely fears the Lord. And here's why. It's because when someone truly fears the Lord, and they want to honor the Lord, and they want to obey Christ, regardless of what happens, listen, that is going to lead to a stable marriage, because it doesn't matter what each of you do. Listen, if you and her, if you have a healthy fear of God, if you're trusting the Lord, listen, regardless of what comes down the pike, you know that your marriage will be able to endure. Why? Because both spouses are not only fearing God, but they're obeying the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? And so listen, if you are a single person here, regardless of how old you are, especially if you're young, if you are a young adult, and you're coming to our young adult ministry on Tuesday night, listen, I know it's easy to be captivated by how funny they are, how, how pretty, how cute they are, but let me tell you something. Make the fear of God, let it that come up to the top of your list. Because if you want to have a stable, strong marriage, listen, the fear of God, their commitment to God, has to be paramount in their life. And all married people say, amen, right? And so listen, if you're single, make sure that you're looking for that. So listen, your commitment doesn't need to also be before the, to the Lord before your spouse, but also write this down as letter B. Each spouse must encourage the other when their faith is faltering. Now, let's go back to the story because there's a small little detail here that's going te- to teach us a lot. Listen to what it says. It says, And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And here it is. And Abraham what? What did he do? He listened to the voice of Sarah. See, the critical mistake here was not that Sarah faltered in her faith. Listen, we all go through seasons where where we get down, when we discourage, when we falter in our faith. But folks, the critical mistake here was when Abraham listened to her and joined her in her unbelief. 
See, you would expect here Abraham to say, Sarah, Sarah, sweetheart, I know. I know things are tough. I know we've been waiting for a long time. I know it seems like this issue is not going to be addressed. But listen, we need to be trusting God here. We need to stay trusting in the word of God. But what do we see? We don't see that, do we? What we see is that Abraham joined her in her unbelief and eventually disobeyed God. And folks, here's what I want you to be aware of. When you see your spouse's faith falter in every way, be careful. Because that is an important moment. Because this is where big mistakes are made. Because you, at that moment, you are either going to what? Either to follow their unbelief, join them in their lack of trust, or you're going to encourage them to stay grounded in God's word, in God's promises. You know, even as a pastor, listen, just being transparent, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a person just like you are. And there's moments that I go through moments of discouragement. I get down about things. Listen, this pandemic has been hard on every single person. Pastors are no exception. And you know, when I, I, I'm blessed that when I get in these moments where I'm discouraged, when I'm down, when I'm just, you know, bummed out about something, Ashley always comes alongside of me. And instead of joining me, here's what she does. She reminds me of the promises of God. She reminds me of the, of the sovereignty over my life and over this church. And so thank the Lord that my wife in those moments where I'm discouraged comes alongside of me and strengthens me. And family, that's what you need to do. When you see your spouse suffering, faltering, listen, that's when you come in and you say, hey, we're going to stay trusting in God. I don't care what's taking place. We're going to stay trusting in God because he is faithful. Can I get an amen to that? And then here's a, the third step. Write this down as letter C. Listen, we need to pray for each other's faith. In fact, Jesus was the one who taught us how to pray, didn't he? Listen to what he says to what happens in Luke chapter 22 when he saw Peter's faith faltering. He says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have what, church family? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You see, far too often, you know, we, we look at all these verses in Scripture about how to, that we ought to pray for one another. And you know what's sad? And so, so, in so many marriages, the people that we pray least for, you know who it is? It's our spouse. We pray for everyone else in the world. But oftentimes we fail to pray for our spouse. I don't know why. Is it because of the proximity? We're comfortable with them. They're so close to us. But listen, if there is someone that should dominate your prayer life, it should be the bride, the husband that the good Lord gave you. Amen? And family, you know, every morning, for example, when we wake up, before Camila wakes up, you know, Ashley and I go to the kitchen. We get our coffee ready, things ready to go. And we always go and spend time with the Lord. I usually go to the couch, and she usually stays in the, in, by the, in the kitchen counter, and she, that's where she, she spends time um, with God. And Lord, and, and, and family, every single morning when I pray to the Lord, 
Listen, I don't only pray before I open God's word that God would give me the insight, the, the, you know, the, 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 that God would illuminate, that God would teach me from God's word that day. But you know, I also pray for my wife. I pray, Lord, as she opens that word, Lord, I pray that you would draw her closer to you. I pray that you would speak to her. Lord, you know the things that I don't know about, Lord. I pray that you minister to her today, that you go into the deepest parts of her heart and you restore and you heal and you teach her. And if I know that she's going through something in her life, I'll pray for her right there. And then she has stretches like, any, stretches like anybody else. But you know what? I know that the importance that every single morning, I not only pray for myself, but I pray for my spouse. And so you want to have a healthy marriage? Man, you got to pray for your spouse. Don't be like these people who pray for everyone else, and the last person they pray for is the bride, the husband that our good Lord has given. So let's be praying for our spouses. Amen? So let me end with this. You know, going back to the Apollo 13, 13 mission, the moment came where they were entering back into earth, and the whole world was watching to see if they would follow the instructions, the guidance, the word from mission control. And the critical, the last critical aspect of this mission was how they would enter the earth atmosphere. See, if they would come into shallow, here's what would happen. If they would come into shallow, they would just simply ricochet off the atmosphere and they would be lost forever. If they came into steep, they would just simply burn through the atmosphere and their lives would be over. But they had to come in at the perfect angle to see, to be able to re-enter. And so, folks, the whole world gathered together. They were glued on those TV screens. And they were seeing if that crew was able to follow the last instructions of mission control. Take a look. that when I spoke to you on the phone, you said that you regretted that you were unable to complete your mission. I hereby declare that this was a successful mission. You know, I love what the president said there at the very end. He said, Captain, I recall that you said that you regretted not being able to successfully accomplish the mission. And he says, I hereby declare that this was a successful mission. Why? Not because it was a perfect journey, 
because they made it home. They endured the journey. They stayed trusting it was a successful mission. And family, what an image of when we come before our commander-in-chief, amen, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we stand before our spouse, before the Lord, listen, he is going to look into your eyes and he's not going to say that this was a successful marriage journey because you had no issues. He's not going to say this was a successful marriage because you never had financial problems. This was, not a this was a successful marriage journey. Why? Because you never fought. You never had arguments. You never had differences. You know what he's going to say? I hereby declare this was a successful marriage journey because you stayed trusting in me and you endured till the end. And family, that is what God wants for our marriages. Listen, God is not looking for a perfect marriage. He's looking for a faithful marriage that stays trusting in the Lord. The question is, in your marriage journey, would you stay trusting in him? Let's bow heads for prayer. My Lord, we come before you and, Father, my prayers for all the marriages in our church and the future marriages, many people engaged, many singles who will be married. Father, I pray that you would bless us, that you would create in us a heart, a desire, a commitment to your word, to your promises, so that we can endure even the most difficult moments in our marriage journey. And then when we stand before God, before you, O oh Lord, that we would know we had a successful marriage journey. And Father, for those of us here who perhaps are not believers in you yet, have not started this journey with you, Father, I pray for our couples here today who have yet to start a relationship with you. Father, I pray that this will be a series, this will be a moment where they no longer rely on their own wisdom, but they say, Lord, we need to start our journey with you first. And they put their trust in you, and they get to experience all that you have for them. So, Father, my prayers for them, that as they go through this series, Lord, that not only will they, you draw them together, but, Father, draw them closer to you. Father, bless these marriages, because we know that you have a plan for them. God, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people say, amen. Hey, let's give another shout of praise to our God. Well, I'm going to call all the campus pastors to come to the front. Listen, be back next week as we continue this series uh, called Ancient Stories. And we're going to be looking at the story of David and Michael, that young couple that also had their issues. Right? Be back next week. It's going to be a great, great study for us. Love you all.